0: Colossians 322, and we've been covering some very important topics for us as uh, adults and young people, as children, uh, the topic of marriage and family, and, and this week uh, we're going to concentrate on work. Now i got a question, Be- before we get into it, i got a question for you. How many of you are retired? Wow. Okay, now let me ask you another question. From what I understand,' it, it's, it's a lot of work to be retired, right? Okay, good. We, we got that out of the way. I mean, we we got many people here that volunteer at different places and, and 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 help out with their friends and and all sorts of things. So don't think you're off the hook from listening to the sermon if you're retired, okay? Don't, don't turn off your hearing. okay well, well I shouldn't go there. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's what Mr. B always said, my father-in-law always says, when, he, when he's tired of listening to me, he just turns it off or takes it out and just nods, you know. So anyway, well, let's jump into the word this morning. It says, uh, Colossians 3.22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So what Paul is talking about is is how we should work and what it means to work in Jesus' name. And in fact, this whole passage—if you go back and and uh, you know—I encourage you, if you miss one of the three weeks, go back and listen to the other two online. Or, or uh, we we got our disc recorder back working again, so we can copy that for you on that Sunday. But I mean, you know, if you. It's important for us to understand what Paul is doing here. He's talking about bringing our relationships that we have into a godly centered relationship. Our work environment, our home environment, and our marriage environment. That God would be the center of those relationships. But we have some problems that we need to address on this one first. Paul is instructing slaves and masters here. And, you know, the obvious problem is we don't see Paul use this to condemn slavery. And Lisa, you want to mute the uh, guitar channel for me? Number two, I think it is. Um, so, but, but there, he doesn't use this to condemn slavery. We would look at this and go, Paul, here's your opportunity. Why don't you do that? Well, there's 75 to 80 million people in the Roman Empire at this point, And about a third to a half of those were slaves. They had very few rights. They were abused. They were mistreated. So why didn't Paul say, slaves, it is time to rebel against this injustice. We need to rise up. Slavery is wrong. Why doesn't Paul say, masters, what you're doing is wrong. You need to set them free. I mean, it would be logical in our mind that he would do that. You know, we see this earlier in Paul, you know, in the chapter where Paul says, you know, in Christ there is no slave nor free. It makes you, you know, kind of wonder, why not, you know, why not organize a protest rally? Instead, he says, slaves, obey. Masters, be right and fair and just with your slaves. Well, I think the answer lies with this principle. Real change for people occurs in the heart it begins with the heart for there to to be real change for there to be life transformation for each one of us we have to decide in our heart our our true being that means change with the soul the very person you are i mean we can change all the laws we want right i mean slavery when, when, you know, the slaves were set free in America, and talking about American slavery, okay, set free in what, 1860, well, right at 1860, wasn't it? Well, 65, the end of the war, but he didn't he set them free in 1860? So whatever the day, he's a history guy, so just go with what he says, okay? But, I mean, were they really free in America? I mean, In the 1960s, we had all the riots and and all that going on, and and a few of us, well, a few of you were alive at that time, and and you understand that. Were they free at that point? Uh, You know, we could debate this all day long on those two points, and we've talked about uh, prejudice here lately and so forth and, and how we shouldn't have that in us. But you can change all the laws. You can do that in society. But until you change the heart... Does anything really change? No, no. So Paul's going after the source here, the heart. There's already been several revolts by slaves uh, for the Romans. I mean, every one of them failed. I mean, you know the famous one, Spartacus? You've all heard that name, Spartacus? He led a revolt, and and it was brutally crushed by the Romans. I mean, the the result was even worse uh, conditions for the slaves. So he does the next best thing. He goes after the hearts. He's teaching them to change their hearts. I believe that Paul is being very deliberate here. He's sowing seeds that one day will lead to the overthrow of slavery and the harsh treatment of of women and children. Because if you can change the heart, then actions will follow. I think the key is to understand the, the context in which this is written. Paul addresses slaves and masters because, in most, you know, during that day, most working relationships and the most common working relationship was between slave and master. Obviously, it would have been written different if Paul were here today and writing this book today. You know know what I'm saying? Slaves, he says in verse 22. Obey your earthly masters in everything you do, and do it not only with their, when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Here's where we need to start doing some soul searching within ourselves, because, you know, when we work, we should be working in the Lord's name. We ought to work differently than how the world works. We ought to work with sincerity of heart and reverence for Christ. Not only when they were looking. I mean, we, we have all, at one time or another, have grown up with, you know, the one person that, that just goofs off all the time. And as soon as the boss shows up, man, they're all like brown-nosing the boss and all that kind of stuff. And we're just like, Urgh. if only the boss saw them, when, okay? And that's what he's addressing here. We should work in the, you know, with, with diligence, not only when they're there, but also when they're not also, not when it's just something in it for you. So here's a great time for, for you know, self-examination of our work. So the question is, how do I work? Do I work with sincerity or minimal work to get by? Now, when I say work, I'm not necessarily... I'm talking about... I mean, if, how many stay-at-home moms do we have here? We have several, right? Okay. What's your work? you got a household to run, right? So, so don't think you're off the hook. So, you know, just don't, don't ignore me the whole thing. I mean, you know, whatever we do, whatever type of work it is, we do it with sincerity of heart. Or do we do it minimally to get by? Paul is essentially saying here, are we working like Jesus would work? I mean, Jesus was a carpenter. I mean, how do you think Jesus' you know, pieces of, of wood or stone? You know, carpenter back then was a, kind of a loose uh, term. We, we think of wood when we think carpenter. But think of stonemason also. What do you think of you know, his pieces that he would have made, how they would have turned out? I mean, it would be pretty cool to own a piece that Jesus made, right? I'm, I'm sure some church has one that says that they, okay, anyway, won't go there. But I think he put effort into his work just like he put effort into his teaching later in life. So, quick question for you. What do you think God is doing right now? He's working. God works. The opening lines of the Bible are all about God working. As if everything we see is the works of God's hands. And then after the sixth day, he went into retirement, right? No, he didn't go into retirement. He rested but we have to look at Psalms 104 sometimes. And you know, you do that if you got a moment. Look at Psalms 104. He continues to work. Jesus came to, to show us God's, you know, who God was, and, and, and Jesus worked also like a, a, you know, a stonemason or a carpenter. And in John 4, Jesus says, My food is to uh, my food is to do the uh, the will of God. The will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, who he is, his well-being is all about doing the work of God. In John 5 he says, My father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. When God is described in the scripture, he is described as a gardener, an artist, a potter, a shepherd, a, a king, a homemaker, a builder. He is always working. He works. So why is this significant? Well, in Genesis, it says that God formed us, and He literally breathed life into us. This means that you and I are a piece of God's work. Wow. You and I are a piece of God's work. I mean, you've all heard the the expression, man, you're a piece of work. And they're certainly not, you know, our reply ought to be, yes, God made me. Yeah, I'm a piece of work. It's literally true. So if we're, you know, made in His image, then we are created to work. We're created to get our hands dirty. You know, we get confused about this sometimes. For some reason, we think that before the fall, there was no work. And before the sin of man. When in actuality, that's not true because you know, he, God doesn't hate work. He, he had them working in the garden. They enjoyed it. After the fall, you know, frustration settles into work. And, and you know, before the fall, they enjoyed it. After the fall, they didn't enjoy it so much. You know, we eat by the sweat of our brow, the, the word says. And the fall you know, really affected how we looked at work. God's intent here is that we are to be redeemed. And all of a sudden, whatever job we have, whatever we're involved in, that work is not necessarily a thing to be frustrated about. Work becomes good. Work becomes something that we want to do. So I want to talk about calling this morning because I think our calling is, is, is very important. And this is not about earning status. This is not about, okay, I'm called to make more money, okay? This is, I'm called to be this type of person, this type of job. Uh, you know, calling refers to that God has made us with certain capabilities in our life, and that God needs you to fulfill your place, not only in church, but also in society, to affect His change. It is where our passion meets the needs of the world, you know, to miss out on our calling, is to miss out on why God created us. It's that important. And 50% of Americans say that they are in a mismatched job. I mean, the core of who we are oftentimes, when somebody comes up to you and they introduce, oh, well, what do you do? They want to know what your job is. Because that kind of helps define you, right? I mean, rightly or wrongly, it helps define you. It's the core of who we are. A person who is in their calling is a motivated person. When obstacles come along, you know, they have the endurance and the patience to to get through those obstacles and overcome them. And they have a joy in their life when it comes to their job. Compare this to a person who is not in their calling. It's really sad. Studies say about a quarter of people that work are chronically angry in their job. Not occasionally, but chronically angry angry. Imagine this in certain fields, like a medical field. Would you like a chronically you know, angry you know, doctor doing surgery on you? Absolutely not. I mean, somebody who drives on the road all the time, chronically angry. Yeah, we all, we've all met those. A DMV worker. I mean, wait, wait, wait. That's all. Okay, wait, wait. No, it's not all of them. Okay, anyway. But think of, think of somebody in a really important job, homeland security. You know, America, we're talking a lot about security and our borders and all. Think about somebody who's mad all the time in that job. This affects us and affects the world that we live in. It's very important for us to get this right. It's important to get to the end of our life and know that we've been doing what God intended us to do. So what does the you know, Bible say about a person, you know, about a calling in a person's life? Well, first off, everybody has a calling. Every human being has one. There's no one called human being, okay? You can either be a full-time mom or a full-time worker at a a job that you go clock in and out of, but no matter what you do, you just don't have a job, you have a calling in life. When a person becomes a Christian, you receive certain gifts of of the Spirit, and, and every gift's matters to God. Some of those gifts are very visible gifts. Some of those gifts are, are invisible gifts, but they are all needed. We are called to know God, and that is our first calling. But after that, God gives us you know, abilities and gifts and desires that, that are inside of us, and we call that our calling. The moments that we really enjoy life is when we are working in our gifting. We were created in God's image, that's why we work. A lot of times we think it's about money. You know the song, I owe, I owe, off to work I go. You know, our goal seems to be, you know, to 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 work enough to gather enough money so we don't have to work. A lottery winners often say, It's not gonna change my life, and then you know, three weeks or three months or Or, you know, six months afterward, they quit their job, and what do they do? They go and buy, and they buy, and they buy, and they buy, and they buy. And then many of them, one day, they find out they've ran out of money. One man called his wife and said, I've won the lottery, so start packing. And she said, warm weather, cold weather. He said, I don't care as long as you're gone by the time I get home, you know. Okay, I just had to throw that in there. A survey of lottery winners of New York. First, in the survey, they they found that they are not happier compared to before they won the lottery. And some were even less happier. Now, when we think about winning the lottery or getting a lot of money, we think we're going to be happy, don't we? Yeah. Hmm. Secondly, they also found out that even though they were unhappy... They certainly would not give the money back if they had a choice. Isn't that interesting? The idea is that we work all our lives to accumulate enough stuff is is really at odds with what God is trying to teach us. Because our work needs to be meaningful or we will resent the work that we do. The primary reason God calls us to work is to enjoy life, to enjoy our work. So right now, if the only reason that you work is for money, then I want to say start praying. Start praying that that God will either change your attitude where you're at or God would show you the path of where you need to go. Now, don't go out and just, I I hate my job, I'm not enjoying it, so I quit. Because then you're in a pickle, aren't you? You got to work towards something. But every one of us has a, a calling in life. We are gifted and we're called by God. So figure out what that is. And some of us are retired, but that doesn't mean that work is, is over. We still contribute to the world. You need to understand that. You still contribute to the world. Some mom feels, you know, some moms feel like, man, since they don't work full-time at all, their value is somehow lower in society. No, 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 no. You have children. And that's your primary job is to raise them, and that's work. Believe me, I've I've learned that over the past few years. Tony Campello and, and some of you know that know him. He said this: when his wife was at home with the kids, people would often ask her, "Well, what do you do?" Standard, you know, answer, and and she gave the, the standard response: "I am so, so socializing." Two homo sapiens and the dominant values of the Judo-Christian traditions so that they can become agents for the transformative of the social order and the eschatological, I can't even say the word, utopia that God had in mind from the beginning of time. Wow. And then she'd say, well, what is it you do? You know, I mean... <laughs> Whatever you do, the point is, whatever condition you find yourself in, your work matters and it matters to God. Now, here's another observation I had about calling. It's something that we have to discover. It's not something that just, whoa, and the the heaven's open and Alan, your job is to do what, you know, I I never knew I could teach. In fact, I was a backpacker. Background kind of guy, I was like, "Hey, whatever you want me to help out with, I'll do that." You need me to fix that? You need me to do this? You need me to do that? Sure. Uh, I mean, my senior pastor when I moved out to California, I mean, he hit the gold mine. He had me doing everything, even going over to his house and helping him tear out cement patios and hauling it all. I mean, I was doing it. You know, I was enjoying it at that time. I never knew I was going to be up front. I, I I didn't want to be up front. The first time I came up front, I was just so nervous, and, and later on, I, he, he said, well, because I, I, I was from Texas, and I had this accent, and he, he said, well, you know, for announcements, if anybody needs translations, we have those in the back from what he just said, because I mean, I just had this draw on me that, that, uh, that sounded pretty, um, yeah, anyway, okay, we'll move on from there. But it's something we discover, it's not something we necessarily choose. We don't choose our calling. The whole idea of a calling has to do with God. He calls us because He has something in mind for us to do. It's our task from God. A caller and a callee. God chooses the calling. This is, has very important implications in our life. People who work with, with marble, I mean, beautiful pieces of, of marble, and the great art, artists will say, to, you know, will say, you have to honor what you're working with. You just can't take any marble piece and make it into the same thing. Oh, let me make twenty statues that look the same. Just give me twenty pieces of marble. It doesn't work like that because you have each piece of marble is you know molded a little differently, and and if you, you hit it a certain way, well that piece is gonna fall off. You have to work, you have to honor the raw material. Many pieces have have great potentials and certain limitations to each one of those. We need to honor the DNA that God has given us. I mean, it'd be great if everybody was just like me, right? I mean, that's how I feel. If people would think and drive and and, and decide. I mean, if there's two different ways to do something, my wife is going to do it one way and I'm going to do it another way, I tell you. And I don't know why she's wrong all the time. I just don't get that. We have to honor the DNA that God's given us. We all think individually. The raw material. You didn't choose the raw material, God did. So ask yourself, what do people say that I do well? What do people say I do well? What things do I excel in? Maybe you ought to sit down and write down the achievements that you had in life. And you need to really think back and and start at a young age, you know. Uh, You might start seeing a pattern. For me, it was serving others. I started out as a trainer in junior high. And if you don't know what a trainer is, taking care of injuries, I was the water boy. But I also taped an- ankles and learned how to use the machines to, to treat different injuries and stuff. And I just started doing that, taking care of their physical needs. And this morphed into taking care of the spiritual needs later in life. I did that from sixth grade all the way through college, five and a half years of college. And then God says, I'm great. I'm glad I trained you at all this, but I got a different calling for you. I thought I was going to be an athletic trainer. I thought I was going to be at the Super Bowl today, you know, wrapping ankles and taking care of the injuries. I mean, that's where my path was headed. But I also look back and see how how I helped my pastors and junior high pastors and high school pastors in church. I helped my junior high pastor when, when, you know, when I was in high school. I helped, you know, with the junior high and high school when I was in college. Never knew that God would call me into the ministry one day for this to be my calling. One day, uh, my pastor goes, well, you're in charge of the junior high now. Start teaching in the book of Matthew. Okay. And it became a natural fit. And all of a sudden, it just felt like, wow, this is who I am. This is what God made me for. I found it. It's not something I set out to do, but something that God revealed. That's what you have to figure out in your life. Now, for me, I'm called to be a pastor. There's not a lot called to be a pastor. For you, you need to figure out what you're called to do. Because if you start paying attention, you will understand your calling. Some of you were always learning. And you found out you could teach. You became teachers. Some of you were were skilled with your hands and you start figuring things out and and that leads you into the, you know, some kids start fixing things very early on around the house. You know, the other day I was fixing a light switch in our house and I was showing Brandon what's behind the light switch and he's like, ooh, I'm like, don't touch because, yeah, you know, I'm one of those idiots that I didn't go flip the breaker boxes, I'm doing it, you know, you just don't grab this line and this line at the same time, Okay? You know, but I didn't tell him that. I just said, Don't touch, you know. But I'm trying to show him different things as as he's growing up because I want to see his personality. I want to see what maybe he's calling into, and my job is to kinda of help mold him and, and encourage him in certain directions, see what he's interested in. Some kids are real organized when they, you know, were kids. Some kids were very persuasive and, and that's the lawyers of today. You know what I'm saying? It's a natural skill. You know. Some are empathetic, you know, and you know, you gotta look back at your life. And think about what were you good at, and you may start to see the calling that you have on your life. And now another thing to think about is what brings you joy? What desires do you have? And I don't mean, oh, I would love to sit on the beach, that brings me joy. I mean, if that was it, I'd be in Hawaii, setting, you know, doing my Sunday morning church, setting up about right now there, three hours later, yeah, we'd be getting out there about right now. What desires do you have? These are not just accidental things. What do you love to do? Now, if you didn't know this, let me tell you. My wife is a great worker. She's very diligent, very detail-oriented. If there's an important document in her office you know, uh, you know, that needs to be put in you know, a lot of people working on it, her, her, not necessarily her boss, but her boss's boss would say, hey, let Lisa coordinate, let Lisa put it all together, make it sound like you know, it's all from one person, smooth it all over, you know, because eight to ten people could be working on something. And several years ago, she was approached you know, by her boss's boss, asking her if she would, you know, kind of like promotion-wise, would you like to have people working underneath you? You'd be a great boss. But her desire was not for that. Her desire was for a family, not to work 40, 60 80 hours that some people or her job does, you know. But her desire was for a family. She'd make a great boss, but believe me, she bosses it. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. But it was important for her to do what God wanted her to do with her skills. Yes, you may be good at something, but that doesn't mean that you should be doing it. This might mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, some of us go, man, it's a great career move, but is that your calling? Is that your calling? My neighbor, man, he was just sitting there going, you know, a couple years ago, uh, he's been a, a junior high teacher for many years, or elementary teacher for many years, and, and one of the, ele- you know, uh, I think it was Sundell, and, you know, the, the school that has all the money apparently, you know, I found out. But, you know, Sundell says, hey, we, we need a vice principal, would you like to, to do that? And he said, Sure. So he, he steps up, stops being a teacher, and went to be a vice principal. Guess what? He found out he's got to deal with all these childlike attitudes and teachers. Oh, wait, did I say that? Okay, but you know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, he had to deal with adults and you know, conflicts and different things like that, and he found out, this is, not, this is not who I am. This is not what I'm made out to be. And the next year, he went through that year, and the next year, he went back to the classroom. You have to decide what is your calling. Just because you may be good at it, it may not be your calling. Usually that's our ego. As with sculpture and marble and all that kind of thing, what is the potential that you have? What are your limitations? And this is another thing. We should all know our limitations because almost every one of us have one or two areas that we wish we were gifted in. I mean, to, to, you know, in order to feel, uh, to feel, like, fulfilled, we think, man, if I could just be good at that. I've learned, man, if you seek after that, you're never going to be satisfied. So we have to ask, what is the one limitation that is the most painful in our lives to accept? See? And if we accept that, then we don't go down that road. When we get clear of that, we start to understand our calling a little bit more. Our culture says you can do anything, you can be anything, and reality is no, you can't. I hate to break that to you. This is about our character. This is about who we are and who we are not. What do you do well and what do you not do well? Don't pretend because you're just going to get frustrated at it. Because calling is something that you discover. It's not something that we necessarily choose. Another observation about calling is, you know, finding it involves both pain and joy. This is important because we romanticize the calling. We romanticize it. Man, when God puts me in that one place, I won't be frustrated anymore. I will just enjoy whatever I do. And, and, you know, look at those in the Bible. I mean, a calling doesn't mean a dream career. He called so many different people in the Bible, but he didn't give them wealth. Often they felt inadequate to do the jobs. Many of them went into, to, you know, into, you know, into fear and ran away for a while. I mean, I could start naming off different, you know, Abraham or, or uh, you know, um, uh, he went before Moses. No, he went before Pharaoh. Moses went before Pharaoh. There you go. Jonah, which took off, Right. You pay a price for your calling sometimes. Sometimes it involves time. Sometimes it involves money. Or the dream job is not the dream job you thought it would be. Or people will oppose you in what you do. Have you ever felt so certain that God called you to, to do a certain thing and all of a sudden you find people opposing you? And then you got to figure out how, to, how do you still love them? A calling is not easy to discover. Sometimes it's trial and error. You know, a lot of wrong paths before we land on the right one. But we have to be patient with it. Don't demand to know instantly. And this leads me to last observation here. As you sincerely open up your heart to God's calling, God works with you. You are not alone. Some people, for some reason, feel like they are never called. But I want you to know, God can use you right where you are, right where you are. Lisa and I were talking, uh, you know, about our journey and where God has taken us in our life, and, and I can tell you, you know, landing in, I don't mean this as an insult, but landing in Tulare was not on my, uh, my big screen. You know what I'm saying? I grew up in Texas at a, a fairly large church. It was considered small. We had 600 people going there. I went to college and, and, and started dating my wife and ended up working for the church. And it was a fairly large church, a little over 10,000 people. Now it has about 20,000. Came out to California and and found a a great, you know, pastor, teacher, and and the church was 150 people, and we were really enjoying it, and then it just exploded, and by the time I left five years later, it was 1,700 people, and now it's even larger. It's like 4,000, 5,000 people. And then I came to Titilary. You know, in my mind, start teaching the Word of God, be a little funny at it. People might laugh, they may not laugh. Church grows, Right? Well, it's a lot more than just that. You know, we were, we were talking the other day. Maybe the only reason, well, no, I don't want to say only reason. Maybe one of the reasons God brought us to Tulare is just to be able to adopt a little baby. Have you ever thought about that? That'll blow your mind. Does that mean that everything else I've done is obsolete? Absolutely not. God put me in a position to do a job. I'm doing my job. And along the way, God says, I'm glad you're there. I'm glad you listen to me because I have something for you. God can use us right where we are at. In fact, the next book we're going to go into is, a, you know, we've got three or four more weeks here in Colossians, but we're going to go to the book of Ruth. And this is uh, absolutely my favorite book of the Bible because there's a man named Boaz. He's my favorite uh, character uh, in history. In fact, i um, when I went back to school, and, and uh, I was sitting in, in class, and, and the professor got up, and, and this professor is phenomenal teacher of the Word of God. Uh, she, she had a, a doctorate in archaeology, and she dug in Israel for 14 years, and she had a doctorate in Old Testament history. Phenomenal teacher. And the first day of class, she's asking you know, people, well, who's your favorite character of the Bible? And, you know, you had people, oh, Peter, Peter, you know, he's always messing up, but God he still uses him. And they had Paul and David and Abraham, all, you know, Moses, all, all these different guys. And, and me always being an oddball, she got to me and she says, well, what's your favorite character? And I said, well, Boaz. And she paused and got this look on her face. And she goes, well, why? And I go, well, I mean... He was at the right place at the right time. He was a godly man doing what he uh, should have been doing. He was making the right decisions, and he chose to make the right decisions in life. He was an ordinary godly man who worked and had compassion, and he was righteous for God. And he lived by what he believed. And she looked at me, and she goes, in 35 years of teaching, I've asked this question every year, and it's the first time I ever heard somebody say Boaz." She goes, and I'm glad somebody else likes the Old Testament like I do. I think, you know, it's important. But the point is, Boaz was a man who was doing something he was supposed to be doing. He lived his life by what he believed. When the time came, God had him right where he wanted him to be for God's purpose. You might be the Boaz, you might be the Moses. You might be the Peter, you may be the Paul, that God has in the right place for the right time. We should strive to please God in our work and allow God to see the big picture. Because if we focus on the big picture too much, we don't do our little part. As we live, we wait for the opportunities that God presents, and then we act upon it. But God can't present the opportunity if we're not there. Now, I love love Boaz so much that I wanted to name Brandon Boaz, and my wife told me no. (laughs) But if we choose to take a path of righteousness and a calling, God will work with you, and you will not be alone. God can use you right where you're at. The Scriptures are full of people who God used this way. Those He sold into slavery those that were captured in battle, those that were sent into exile, are thrown into prison, and God used them. Can you believe that God orchestrated men to be, you know, men and uh, different people to get thrown into prison so God could use them? We would not have the letters of Paul if Paul had not been arre- arrested by the Romans. Because you know why most most of the letters got written? Because Paul was in prison doing this, twiddling his thumbs. Okay, not really. Paul was one of those guys that I'm sure was type A and he was always working. That's why he sat down and he started writing letters to other Christians and other churches that we study today. God used him and he fulfilled his purpose while in prison. God is still doing this. Some of you guys know um, Chuck Colson. He had a great career, very politically motivated, in a very exalted position until he, uh, you know, started working for President Nixon and got caught up in Watergate. And he was the first guy to go to prison for Watergate. His career was over. But during that prison time, he accepted Christ. And the Lord started to you know, call him into another career, and he started reaching out to those that were in prison. And he started a prison ministry, and it's blossomed into this huge ministry that is still going today. You know, what looked like an end to a career was the glorious beginning of a calling. Now, if you're in a job that you think is a, you know, a mix, uh, that's not really matched up to you, then you need to start thinking, what should I be doing? What is the Lord, you know, uh, who has the Lord made me? Maybe I need to discover the gifts that God has given me and then to start using those gifts, not only in the church, but also in the world. Do what you need to do to get in a place that you feel that God has called you. It may be a different place of employment, maybe may be a different life position, or it may be in the same place that you are already in. All of a sudden, you start to realize, God has me here for a reason. Now, do you think that, that uh, if a job doesn't fit you, you know, 100%, then that's not your calling? Not necessarily. I don't know anyone who loves every part of their job. You know, I, I love my job up here. One of the things that irritates me is having to deal with another church that rents from us. Every Sunday I come in and something's changed or something's done wrong or yeah, I mean, it's simple. We we got a TV down here. We want it to stay right here. We want the rows to stay kind of. Every Sunday they push all this back, and and literally I, I zip tied the cords to the chair because I don't want them pulling off the projector. The cord only goes so far, you know. So I leave a little extra there. You know, I'll come in and the zip ties will be cut off. And you're just like, you gotta be joking. It's not part of the job that I like. But you don't have to like every bit of your job. You may find that God wants you to move to a different job, you know, over time. Or you may find new meaning in the job that you currently have and realize that God wants to use you wherever you are at. The Bible's really clear on this. No matter what job, do you, you know, you have, who do you work for? Who do you work for? Verse 23, it says, whatever you do, work it Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So I was curious about the words, whatever you do. Looked them up in the Greek. You know what it means? Whatever you do. That's what it means. Wow, I mean, that's it? Whatever you do. It's pretty comprehensive. You go to school, you have a job, maybe you volunteer. Whatever you do, you do it for, you know, not for men, but for God. We work for Jesus. That is the person that I work for. It will make you think your job, you know, think about your job just a little differently. Verse 24 says, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Some of us need to write down that verse and put it down somewhere on our fridge, on our desk, on, you know, in our car, on our toolbox, wherever you work, somewhere will remind us who we really work for. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that I'm serving. So let me ask you this. As you go to work in your home, at your office, in your school, in your factory, does your attitude reflect that you work for God? Mm. That's a big question. Does your attitude reflect that you actually work for God? If you knew that God was sitting in the in the next cubicle that he would be watching, would you complain, you know, would you complain the same way you complain? Would your enthusiasm be any different as you write your reports or you do whatever, you know, work on projects? Would you do it the same way or would you adjust your work if you knew that Jesus was coming to inspect it, that he was your boss? Is your integrity there? Do you know that, that more stuff is stolen by employees every year than what's shoplifted in stores? Wow! We need more integrity in this world. Am I doing my job with diligence because I work for God? Now, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. In this world, we have good performance reviews. And we have bad performance reviews. One day we're going to stand before God and all this stuff won't matter. But you will understand at that point who you were working for. Don't you want to be able to stand there and hear the words or, or be able to say the words, Lord, I did as best as I could, could at that point to fulfill my calling that you gave me. That would be great, wouldn't it? Or, Lord, you know, I messed up early in my life, but man, later in my life, I, I, I hit my groove and, and knew who I was serving, Lord, and I've done what I could. Through your Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this inheritance thing. And what's interesting is this under Roman law, slaves didn't own anything. And for some reason, if their master or somebody else gave them something, when they died, their lineage, their children didn't receive those things. That stuff went back to the master because they weren't allowed to have an inheritance. Inheritance was for the wealthy and for the free, not the slaves. And this is a beautiful picture here. Paul is saying, you have an inheritance waiting for you from God himself. Now, I love being a a great dad, being able to reward my children. And and Brandon gets so excited when he he receives something he never even knew existed. He's like, Dad, this is the best. This is the most awesome, great thing. I love it thanks. And I'm very thankful I have a son that thinks that way, okay? And I'm like, all that because I bought you a $12 Hot Wheel case. Okay, we're, we're going good. All his Hot Wheels could fit in. And he's so excited about it. Now imagine God giving us a reward. I think it's going to be a little better than a Hot Wheel case. Verse 25, it says, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Unfortunately, I've learned something. Life is not fair. Don't you wish it was? But life is just not fair. Office politics, who gets promoted, who gets raises, you know, different, different bonuses for different people. Life is just not fair. Or even if you ever receive a bonus, I don't know. But in the end, it really does work out. So, don't get discouraged. God will look at his servants and say, Well done to those who were faithful for working for him. And this is ultimately what we're talking about today. It is worth it. It is worth it. Someone is keeping track. God himself. It is worth it. Don't be discouraged because it is worth it. Don't be deceived by this world into thinking that you have to play the game of the world because it is worth it. It is worth the time, effort, and energy to work for God Himself and whatever position in life that He has put you. It is worth it. Amen? Amen. Well, let's stand and let me pray for you as we take off and go eat lunch together for those that can join us. Lord, uh, thinking about work for some of us just is aggravating. For others of us, we we enjoy our job. And and Lord, I I pray that you get us all in a position where we understand that we're working for you, that you bring enjoyment into life no matter what we do. Whether it's taking care of our children or working on a car or, or working in the factory or at the office or dealing with all the umpteen million kids at school. Whatever job that we have, Lord, that you give us fulfillment in that job, that we start to understand our calling. For those that maybe feel like, I'm not in my calling, Lord, that you would start to guide them over time and direct them over time and give them the desires that you have for them. And maybe it's a change in job or maybe it's just a change in attitude. I don't know, Lord. That's that's between you and them. Lord, I pray that we continually be reminded that we serve you and work for you ultimately. That this world is not it. This is not the end all of end alls. That we have something to look forward to. We, We hold on to that great hope that we have. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you as you go about His calling in your life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.